from the Bible, from the scriptures, there's a Messiah coming, a Messiah coming, and, and the Jews being oppressed by the Romans, they needed the oppression from the Romans and from paying taxes, and we find ourselves in our society as well. We will accept Jesus if he comes and makes our life and our circumstances better. If he fits our expectation, then that's fine, he can be king. But if he doesn't fit our expectation, we reject him. That's what the Jews have, have done, speci specifically the Jewish leaders, the Pharisees. And the disciples, I mean, they were just in between all of that. And we saw this whole scene where they have, they took palm branches and they, Jesus was on the donkey and they started to sing with loud voices. Uh, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. And they made him king. Now, we have to ask ourselves, was it an authentic response? Were they loyal to this king? Was it because they had a deep conviction of Jesus as their king? Or was it this idea, this is what the scripture is saying, Jesus was talking about being a king, Jesus predicting this significant moment in Jerusalem coming up, coming up. The, they sense the time is here, it seems like a big moment, and maybe they were caught up in the whole thing and they made him king. And I had to ask myself the question, if he was really their king, why did they desert him? the moment he got arrested. So that's sort of the world around Jesus at the time, uh, entering Jerusalem. First, ask you a question. We're going to look at the cross. We're going to look at what actually happened then on the cross. So I want to first ask you a question. If you look at this clasp, what do you see? Hey? <laughs> Quality. Okay. Okay, you might recognize this as a travel mug. Hey? Uh, you might be shocked to see that it's a Stanley not just a travel mark, eh? it's a Stanley. And that comes with all sorts of associations. You've got your own thoughts going now. Where did this guy get the money to pay for this thing? <laughs> you know? Um, but when I look at this thing, it reminds me of the Black Friday that we bought it on, <laughs> on a special. But we bought it in Stellenbosch. We went, drive all the way there. So it was our sabbatical road trip. And so we went from here through Grafrenet, through the Route 62, beautiful little towns in the Klein Karua or Karua, and to Cape Town, we visited, Babel, what's that, Babylon's Toren, those beautiful gardens, you can show some of those images there. Um, we bought this in Stellenbosch, and then we had this whole road trip through the garden route to George and Wilderness um, area, and this is probably my most fav favorite holiday destination in South Africa. Um, Going on from there, we went to uh, PE, and then we went all the way to a strange place. Maybe, I don't know if you can put that image on or, or not. Okay, that's okay. We got to this strange place. It's called the bath at the end of the world. Have you heard about that? There, you can see that. There's really a bath. End of the world, I'm not so sure about it, but <laughs> it feels like you're on the end of the world. And you actually can sit outside and, and, and take a bath. That was really awesome. So we had this amazing experience taking a bath in nature at the end of the world. It was like a, that was the pinnacle point of our whole sabbatical. Then from there, it went south. You know, we went to 
because Rocky Bay, we actually camped there in Natal, and then it was COVID time, and the, the beaches were closed and all of that. That's why I say it went south. We went all the way back through the Midlands in the Drakensberg, and then back to here. Yo, I just want to go back now and, and re-experience re, um, all of that. So if I look at this thing, I don't just see a Stanley. I see our road trip. I see something significant. I see the memories that we made. Every time I take a sip of this, I'm reminded of that road trip. Hmm, and you wonder what's inside. <laughs> okay, so the context, the context behind something changes the way we view it. I share some context now, and suddenly you look differently to this thing, and you just want to buy yourself a Stanley. Okay, because maybe it will take you on a road trip, I don't know. But today we celebrate what God did through Jesus on the cross, and we remind ourselves of the meaning of that. So the, the death and the resurrection of Jesus is really the pivotal point of our faith. It's the most important and most significant thing. That's why a weekend like this is for me, for me of the cross. And when we look at the cross, we look at things like the suffering of Jesus. We look at um, the insults that he, that he endured. We look at the pain. Um, have you seen the movie The Passion of Christ? I mean, if you want to get a glimpse of suffering and pain, I, I mean, that's just a movie. But I think they came really close. Other than those Jesus pictures that you see in the illustrated books, where Jesus is this nice guy hanging on a on, on, on the cross, there's this one little bit of blood here and one little bit of blood there. <laughs> That's not accurate. I mean, he was just bloody. It was a mess. So, so that's what we normally focus on, and, and then obviously the death. And it's not wrong. It's actually all of that is important. You can have a sermon on any of those topics. The, the question is, is, is it all? Is it all we see when we look at the cross? So I, I'm asking a question, what did the people see on that day when they looked at the cross? Those people that were in near proximity. So some of the scriptures mentioned some of these people. They, there was people passing by, and they would shout to Jesus, come down from the cross and save yourself. You know, when a, a, another person was on a cross, a crucifixion was meant for criminals. That was a Roman public capital punishment for criminals. So if a criminal was lying there, people would typically walk by and insult them and mock them and say, yeah, you deserve that. Okay? This was typical. So they knew Jesus said something about he's a savior, and they said, ha, oh, okay, well then save yourself. See if you can come down. The chief priests, the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, they jumped into, they say, let this key Christ, this king of Israel, come down from the cross that we might see and believe. Some of those standing near said, listen, he's calling Elijah because he, he, he mentioned a certain word in Aramaic. And then someone says, um, let's see if Elijah comes and take him off from the cross. So they were mocking. They didn't take it serious. In fact, it was like they are saying, you got what you deserve. What did the Roman soldiers see when they looked at him? I mean, they've been crucifying a number of people. Was Jesus special in their eyes? Probably not. Here's another criminal dying. Didn't make much of that. So they looked at 
Jesus, like I'm looking at the standing. For me, this is special. For you, it's just another travel man. It's just another criminal dying. Deserted Jesus. They fled. They were like in hiding. So they were probably standing from very far, like don't want to be caught out. And I wonder what they thought looking at that cross. There goes our leader. We'd probably be part of a, of a losing team. This is just one big joke. Look. This miracle worker walking on water. Look. There's no hope. What's the point? What's the point of giving my life to this? This Jesus. There were some women standing there. Mary Magdalene, Mary, Mary the mother of James and Joseph and Salome that was watching from a distance. There's no words recorded. And you wonder what did they think? In silence they stood, stood there. What did they feel looking at Jesus? What did they see? Who was Jesus to them? So many people see many different things when they look at the cross. So we have to ask questions tonight. When you look at the cross, what do you see? So I want to ask you, just pray for a moment. Lord, when we open up scripture now, I pray that you will help us tonight to become clear on the way we see what we see when we see the cross, Lord, that, that you'll open our eyes to see deeper. Just like the Stanley flask means something deeper for me, that the cross will have its deeper meaning for us in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to read from Matthew 27, uh, verse 45 to 51. You can join on the screen or you can join in your Bible for those who still have a Bible. Um, or on your phone, <laughs> if you, and if you get bored, you can WhatsApp somebody. Okay, so Matthew 27, from noon, noon means midday, 12 o'clock. From 12 o'clock until 3 in the afternoon, darkness came over the land. Now let's stop there. Darkness. Try, maybe close your eyes, we're not going to switch off the lights. Just close your eyes for a moment. And the closest thing that we can associate with darkness is load shedding. Okay? <laughs> Apart from the generator and the solar and all of that. Good old-fashioned load shedding. Darkness. I want you to just imagine what darkness means to you. How you experience darkness. No light shining. Nothing. You can't see anything. What do you feel when you're facing darkness? Deep into the night. So about three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. Now that was an Aramaic expression that means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And when some of those standing there heard this, they said, he's calling Elijah. Immediately, one of them ran and got a sponge. He filled it with wine vinegar, put it on the staff, offered it to Jesus and drink and said, Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes and saves him. When Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. What a powerful moment. 
So Jesus was crucified between 12 and, and 3 in the afternoon. And we see that before Jesus died, there was a three-hour period of physical darkness. It is not possible to have physical darkness in the middle of the day when the sun was shining. That means that was a supernatural occurrence. That in itself is a sign. In itself, it's a miracle. The fact that darkness came the moment when Jesus was crucified. That should give you an idea. Oh, ooh, maybe we are doing something terribly wrong here. In the Old Testament, the prophets prophesied about darkness. And darkness is seen as a symbol of judgment. Remember, um, in the plagues of Egypt, there's also mention of darkness that came over Egypt. So that's part of God's judgment. Now, in this case, it's the judgment on the people who has rejected Jesus as the section of rejection. And God says, well, let me show you what I think about it. But it's also judgment on Jesus for the sin of the world. It's a very serious moment. It's the darkest hour in human history. Let's think about historical moments that you might perceive as a dark hour. Think about your own life. Have you been through a dark moment in your life? I remember I was at a certain stage, I, I had to leave my one job, and I was without a job for a couple of months, and I was alone, lonely, I was insecure, I struggled with a lot of things, and among them was pornography. It was part of that part of my life. And if I think about that period of not having a job, all I can think about was that filthy pornography and the loneliness and the, the, the uncertainty of me finding myself in this unknown know what's going to happen with my life. What a dark time to look back at. But if you think about the history of the world, and for those of you don't, that don't know, I've been set free from pornography, so you don't have to worry about that for the rest of the sermon. But if you think about the history of the world, think about uh, World War II, Hitler, and the effect that he had on the Jews, the effect that it had on the world. What a dark hour. But this was the darkest hour in history. The moment when the world rejects the Son of God. When the whole plan of history, since creation of the world, comes together as this critical point. It's the climax of history. And God says, what are you doing? The moment when God is judging sin in this world. The moment when Jesus is left hanging on a cross in the darkness. But in the darkness, there stands a cross. So I want to ask you, what comes to mind when you think of darkness? Just like the Stanley plot. What do you think of when you think of, give me some examples. What do you think of? No thoughts. No light. That's about it. Nothingness. Fear. Oh, here we go. What else? Very inconvenient. Yeah? Is that the only darkness that you're aware of? What about? Oppression. Heaviness. The darkness in your soul. Bondage. Captivity. I spoke about the pornography addiction. Fear and anxiety. Loneliness and despair. Depression. Some of you have experienced depression before. You don't see the light. Hopelessness. 
helplessness. Death may be a physical death of a passion in your soul. Shame. Hiding in darkness. Unforgiveness. A cage in your heart. And sin. Sin is darkness. Can you see how rich this word means? Darkness. It, it contains. It's like this contains for me a whole sabbatical road trip. Darkness it contains all of those things. But regardless of what darkness you might be finding yourself in, in the middle of darkness, there stands the cross. Can we say amen? So darkness, whether you're facing the darkness of sickness, there stands the cross. There's a cross. Whether you're facing the darkness of anxiety and depression, there is a cross. Whether you're facing the darkness of rejection and hurt, there is a cross. When you're facing uncertainty, the darkness of uncertainty, disappointment, uh, sin, there's a cross. The darkness of addiction, there's a cross. So it gives me some form of hope. That cross becomes significant now because in the midst of darkness, there was still a cross. Nothing can change the fact of what Jesus has done on that cross. It's been done. It's finished. Jesus said so. His last words was, it is finished. So not only is there a cross in the middle of the darkness, but the cross testifies of God's love and God's grace to us in the darkest time of our lives. What I love about the gospel is the fact that Jesus loved us when we were still pathetic. The Bible says in Romans 5, when we were still powerless, actually he starts, first of all he says, when we sin, we become worthless. I think it's Romans 3, he says we have all become worthless. And then he goes in Romans 5, he says, now that we are powerless, worthless, meaning nothing, God shows his love to us. That's what I love about the gospel. God doesn't love us just when we are showing ourselves to be good Sunday school boys or girls. We don't have to perform for God to show his love. We don't have to be perfect for God to show his love. God shows his love when we are at our lowest. That's the love of God that we see. And how does it look in this, in, in this instance? In the darkest hour of pain, suffering, and judgment, Jesus is crying out, My God, why have you forsaken me? Now, this is significant. So in that moment, God the Father looked at the cross, just like we are looking at the cross. There's a cross, there's a cross. God was looking at this cross, and he chose to see something. I mean, what was hanging on that cross? His beloved son. Now, I have a little baby girl, and I'm going to cry if I say that now. My heart is moved and shaped. You know, if I just think about her getting hurt, my heart is moved and shaken. Because I want to protect that little baby girl, like, with everything in me. Jesus was God's son. His beloved son. So for a moment, just imagine, God looks at the cross, but he had to choose not to see Jesus. He had to choose to see something that wasn't there initially. You see, when Jesus came to the cross and he was crucified, he arrived there without any sin. He was the blameless lamb. So it wasn't because Jesus carried any sin to the cross that God saw the sin. He had to choose to say, I'm not going to look at Jesus and see my son. I'm going to see sin. And guess whose sin he's seeing? He's seeing my sin. He's seeing, seeing our sin. God chose to see our sin beyond Jesus. That's the way he looked at Jesus. And therefore he punished the world 
of the sins of the world through Jesus on the cross. So Jesus became sin on the cross. That's a very important concept to understand. So now when we look at the cross, we should be seeing our sin. It's one thing what you should see when you look at the cross. We keep on saying we see Jesus at the cross and we sing about Jesus at the cross and it's beautiful, it's true. But we, when you think about the cross, you should think about your sin. So I want us to do something. You're going to close your eyes again. You're going to practice darkness quite a few times tonight. Okay. I want you to do something. Close your eyes. Think about your own sin now. I mentioned some of my sins. I want you to face your own sin, your addiction, the bondage in your soul, the darkness in your soul, the arrogance, the greed, the lust, the perversion, the bondage, the evil. What's the feeling that you get when you look at that sin? I remember when I, when I just took a good look at the, the pornography sin, it brought disgust to me. It brought shame. It's filthy. Guilty. What do you feel when you look at that? Now in your mind, look at the cross. Look at Jesus. And look at Jesus becoming your sin. Look how that sin that you saw in your mind is physically placed on Jesus. And see what feeling comes to your heart now looking at Jesus becoming your sin. It's a mixture of feelings. There's still that same disgust because he's covered with that filthy sin. But there's also some form of thankfulness or appreciation somehow. Thank you. We are humbled by the idea that Jesus is the creator God. He was creating this universe along with God the Father and the Holy Spirit. He had to endure a suffering at the hands of those whom he have created. So the creator was insulted, humiliated and abused by his creation. Things like being flogged, being mocked, being insulted. They spit in his face. They hit him a few times. And this suffering must have been excruciating and extremely painful. But it doesn't measure up. It falls short to the suffering that Jesus faced the moment that he died. It is a suffering that we cannot physical pain. It's not the blood. It's not the broken body. It's not the physical pain. It's a suffering inside of his soul that we cannot perceive with our eyes. We can't even imagine what it could be like when Jesus died. And he took the sin upon his, himself and he cried out to God. He says, my God, why have you forsaken me? You see, sin cannot exist in the presence of God. And if sin is placed on Jesus, then Jesus cannot exist in the presence of God anymore. So that at that moment, for the first time, Jesus experienced being separated from the Father. 
Jesus, the beloved Son of God, in whom he is well pleased, separated from the Father. So do we have any idea what happened in that moment? What Jesus went through? God the Father leaving him, abandoning him. That is a, an example of hell. The absence of the presence of God. Eternal death, what we refer to as hell, is the eternal separation. That abandonment continuing over ages. That gap never filled, never fixed. Remaining stuck in that separation. Jesus died separated from God. Facing the punishment and death alone. had to die alone. And that's so that we may never be separated from God. That we might have, we, we don't have to face the punishment. So for a moment, in that dark hour, Jesus took all of that upon him to save us from an eternal punishment of enduring that for hours and hours and hours to come. Can you see the grace of God? Can you see the love of God? compacted in that one hour, the hour when Jesus died. Not only did God look at the cross and choose to see sin, but God still, looking at the cross, see us. God looks beyond the cross and he, see, he sees me, he sees you. And on the cross, there's this great exchange taking place. I've explained to you now what was put on Jesus. It was our sinfulness, our filth that has been put on Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5 says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. There's this wonderful exchange happening. Something from this world has been dumped on Jesus, but then something from Jesus is put on us. God is doing this. Yes, Jesus, beautiful Son of God, pure, righteous, without any sin. Yes, here we are, as sinful as you can get, filthy. And God says, let's put the filth on my son and let's put his righteousness on you because I had you in mind all along. Can we now say thank you, Jesus, for what he's done? He took upon himself what we had so that he can give to us what he had. So it's not just about the sin, it's about the righteousness. There's a beautiful exchange, and tonight we're going to talk about this change. The substitutional death of Jesus taking our place, bringing this exchange, means there's now an exchange of forgiveness in the place of punishment. Sinners becoming saints, an orphan becoming a son or a daughter. Those who have been lost is found. Death to life. Curses to blessings. Sickness for health. Can you get excited about this? This is the best deal that you can ever get. And it's free. It doesn't cost us anything apart from humbling ourselves. Instead of sadness, comfort. Instead of fear, peace. God says, come to me. I'm, I'm about to, to exchange commodities with you. I've already demonstrated it to you. So the cross testifies that God loves us enough 
This is important. God loved us enough that he did not leave us in our darkness, in our sin. He could have. He could have said, okay, you've messed it up, so just stay where you are. Isn't that sometimes the attitude we have towards people? When they offend us or they hurt us, we just say, well, in that case, I cut you off. I don't care. God could have done that. I mean, in all fairness. He doesn't need us. But his love continues beyond that point. He says, I'm not going to leave you there. You deserve to be there, but I'm not going to get you where you are. I'm not going to take you out of that place. I'm going to save you. And we are restored in a relationship with God. And we can freely come to God. Think about that. You can freely come to God. The whole switch from Old Testament to New Testament. The Old Testament, it was no way that you could approach God just by yourself. Suddenly, God says, you can freely approach me. So the, the, the cross declares also to us that there is hope. When Jesus breathed his last breath on the cross and the curtain in the temple was torn, that you remember that scripture, the, the curtain was torn in two. So the curtain in the temple was the one that separated us actually physically from the presence of God. Because in the temple, you had the outer court, then you had the, um, the holy place where the candlestick was and the table with the bread, and then you had this curtain. And then behind this curtain was the Ark of Covenant with the two angels put on that, made by gold. And then God's glory would shine on this Ark and it would brighten up the whole place. Do you know who was allowed to enter that sacred space? One person. You know how many people in Israel has left Egypt to the promised land, going through the desert? There was about three million people. Did you realize that? There was about three million people that was called God's people at the time when they built this temple or this, this tabernacle. And out of all those three million, God says only one person is allowed, the high priest. Once a year, one day in a year, the high priest. And he better make sacrifices for his sin. Otherwise, he's going to just collapse die. So the most precious part of God's presence, the holiness of God, the most beautiful part of God's presence has been hidden from us. It's, we've been separated from it in the whole Old Testament. We've been kept out. The curtain is blocking the way. And God says, there's no way you go beyond this point without dying. You shall not go beyond this point. You shall die. That's how serious God is protecting His presence, His holiness. And look at the perfection of what Jesus has done on the cross. The moment He died, God Himself, that curtain was very high. So God Himself took that curtain and He tore it. It was a spiritual thing. Another supernatural thing happened. No human hand was doing that. It's like the darkness. This time it's not darkness. Imagine what happens when that curtain was torn. What came through? glory of God, the light that was shining in that tabernacle, in that ark, was suddenly coming through. Light, light penetrating darkness. Can you see what God is saying to us? He's saying, Jesus died in your darkness so that you can enter my light. This is the most beautiful exchange that we can ever imagine. The light for me is a sign of hope. Because if you're depressed, you say, I can't see light. It's this dark tunnel. I can't see any light. There's no more hope. Hope 
light. When the light comes through, there's hope. The cross testifies of hope. So now we are able to enter his presence, for God's presence is now available to us. And we have hope in all situations. Yes, we face the situation, but we have hope in all situations. Why? Because God Almighty, the most holy God, says, now I am with you. I have abandoned my son in that hour so that I can be with you. Because if I see you now, I don't see your sin anymore. I see my son. That's why I can be with you like he was with Jesus before the cross. We can experience exactly what Jesus had in those three and a half years of ministry where he had this open relationship with God. It's available to all of us. No one is more special than the other one. It's, it's up to you whether you want to engage with that or not. If you want the intimate relationship with God, you can have it. It's up to you. Just spend time with him. You're not special, more special than the other person. It's open for all of, all of us. God says it's free, it's open, it's available to you. The word says in Romans 5, we have gained access in, by faith into the grace in which we now stand, and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. So I want to end here and say, asking you this question. So when you look at the cross, maybe look at that physical cross there just to help you, and, and think about the cross of Jesus, obviously. So when you look at the cross, just like you've looked at this class, and you had your own ideas, and I told you the context, Tonight I've shared with you a little bit of the context of the cross of Jesus. So what do you see? And I hope this is what you see. In darkness, in my darkness, in your darkness, there stands a cross. And it testifies of God's love and grace. And it declares that there is always hope. The Holy Spirit has pressed on my heart this afternoon something specifically. When I dem demonstrated to you that whole thing about looking at your own sin, I felt the Holy Spirit said it's important for you tonight to take a good look at the darkness that you're struggling with and that you're facing because I'm about to get rid of it. If you believe me, God says, it's going to be over. The light will penetrate your soul and it will set you free from that depression that you're struggling with. That anxiety that's keeping on manifesting in your life. If you believe, if you accept this message tonight by faith, God says I'm about to do a great miracle. It's going to be in your eye. You're going to behold, see, you're going to see what God is doing. But you have to get a good look at that darkness. Get a good understanding. What is this thing that I'm facing? And maybe for a moment you need to get disgusted with that and get angry at that and say, enough is enough. Are you ready to say enough is enough? Okay, so we're going to do something practical. Practical. That's how we're going to respond to the word. You will see on your chair there was a, just a torn piece of paper. And for those of you who don't have a pen, there's some pens here at the table. Um, 
but we're going to do something tonight. This is a personal note, so keep it personal and private. But I want you to, to write down, describe in words on that piece of paper the darkness that you are facing. That thing that you've been confronted with tonight, that thing that you looked in the eye and you said, I'm done with this, I'm tired, I'm, I'm time out. Put it on paper. Write it down. Explain it to yourself. No one's going to look at that for you. Ruan, can you join me, please? So, so when you're done, we're going to listen to just soft music playing. When you're done with this, you come to the table, and you'll see at the table, there's a jar that says worries. And you can chuck it in there. You can trommel it up. You can scare it up. You can just don't burn it. We don't want the fire tonight. Okay. But you chuck it in there. You're going to come to the table of God. You're going to come to the communion table. You're going to come to the cross tonight for the great exchange. And then you can see there's a beautiful basket here that says hope with, with these lovely notes that's been written for you. Where God has a spoken words. There's scriptures on these. You can choose anyone, just randomly. It's for you. And then what you can do at the, at the back, my hope in Jesus you can then write to yourself, maybe when you're back at your seat, what is the new hope that I have in Jesus now that I've made this exchange? What am I getting from God tonight by giving Him my rubbish and my nonsense and my sin and my shame? The bread and, and you engage with this table, you can then participate by breaking the bread and, and drinking the wine. And we realize tonight what the symbol is. Jesus said in the night when He was betrayed, He broke the bread. And he explained to the people what they were um, participating every year when they had the Passover. He said, this bread, the symbol of my body broken on that cross, and this cup, this wine, is a symbol of my blood. And it's a very practical thing that God has given to church to say, every time that you participate, you remind yourself, what have I done? We can't all go to Jerusalem. We can't all go to the place where we physically see Jesus dying. But we can remind ourselves. So I want to invite you tonight. Come, let's participate in the communion in this way.